0: You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 138. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app.
1: And check us out at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole lot more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants, too. Uh, comments at codingblocks.net. I guess that's the email address.
2: That, that is one of those snail mail type things in today's world. I remember That's those. snail
1: mail. <laughs> right. And follow us on Twitter
2: at CodyBlocks or head to www.codyblocks.net and find all our social links are at the top of the page. And with that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe And I'm
0: Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform for end-to-end visibility into modern applications. And secure code warrior, build your security posture and defend your organization from cybersecurity threats by empowering your developers with the skills and expertise they need to write secure code from the start. Well, before we uh, dive in here, we're going to be talking about the second way, uh, from the DevOps handbook. But first let's, uh, let's share some of the reviews that we got. Wait, hold up. Is this oh. the second way or the third way? I thought we were no, going the, the third way. way. This is the second way. Second. I read it wrong. We
1: got a All whole right. other way. <laughs> yeah. Way. All right. All right. Does anyone remember what the first way was? It was a bunch of stuff.
2: It was before <laughs> the it,
0: second it was the way. technical practices of flow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. Yeah. So it was about like the kind of CI pipeline. Okay. So yeah. So reviews. Thank you super very much. Uh Tom Jerry twenty four and Adam Corinata on uh iTunes. And on Stitcher we have
0: Virtual Shin Kicker. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bab Babson Bab Babanson and Felix Sighted.
2: You know, awesome. I like it that you put a little southern drawl on that, Babanson. That oh. was good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, one of them made a comment uh about uh my uh announcer voice. I think it was Adam that said something about mine. Uh, no, it was uh Tom and Jerry, that that made a comment about my uh my announcer voice. So maybe I should have read that one.
1: And coming in from iTunes, we have Tom Jerry twenty four.
2: Yes, yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: excellent. Yeah, I got to I got to be on a call with Outlaw where uh, a work call where uh, he got to use his voice, and like no one no one else on the call knew what the heck was going on. They're like. <laughs> Who is this? heavenly voice, body thing that just like swooped in, and just <laughs> just decimated the field, and someone had to go after him too, which was just awful for them.
0: Awkward. Okay. Oh, so so, so bad. after this, you're going to have to tell me what this call was because I don't okay. remember it. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. It's it's funny that it was totally unmemorable to you, but everyone was just, just like, "Oh crap!" Yeah, I actually remember it too. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. excellent. All All right, right. so we have coming up next,
2: (laughs) right? A touch of news. Um, So these were just a couple of articles that came out that are really interesting, and it's worth taking a look at just for the heck of it. So one of them is the average cost of a data breach in the year twenty twenty. Right now, it's a report that IBM put out, and it's pretty interesting. They basically say that right now the global average cost of a data breach in twenty twenty is.
0: Three point eight six million dollars. That's is, the average. Is that in aggregate like total or is that like per customer that you have? Like per I think per data breach that you So have. just per data breach total? As they, regardless as of how many
2: customers you have. Yeah, right. Okay, gotcha. Right. This is the average. Um healthcare has the highest industry average cost, which is seven point one three million dollars. So every time somebody gets in and exposes something In your company's infrastructure, it's an expensive deal, right? And then the next thing that I wanted to bring up is Garmin just got hit with some ransomware attack stuff that happened. And the rumor is that the ransomware was requesting $10 million and their service was down for like four days solid, (laughs) like completely down. And they haven't said that they paid it directly, right? Um, I don't think anybody's going to release that kind of information, but there are things started coming up like four days later. And there's an article on Forbes where they're basically saying, is this good or bad? Like if you pay it, does that just make you more of a target? And really the reason I wanted to bring this up is if you're writing any kind of software, you probably need to be thinking about disaster recovery backups, how to ensure that if some ransomware gets on your stuff, that you're not completely hosed, Right. Um, so, you know, think about it. I know that we've talked about Kubernetes and all that kind of stuff, and and that actually is kind of a way to be able to help. And all the stuff that we've been talking about in the past few episodes and this one is also things that you should be considering to help you in case there ever is a problem, right? If you can think of your infrastructure, your CI, your CD pipeline as code, then it's something you can relatively, I don't want to say easy, but it, it's a little bit easier to get stowed back up, right?
1: Uh, I got uh, another one here. Um, By the way, I have enough stuff to think about without (laughs) worrying about that stuff. So, you know, coming right here. So this one's kind of funny. So um, uh, the Meow attack. Um, I don't even know if you want to call it an attack. Uh, Basically, uh, 4,000-plus databases have been wiped uh, across the Internet. These were unsecured databases, things like uh, unsecured Mongo. Uh lots of search that were uh out in the open we've talked about this a little bit before, i you can kind of go and search for those. And um there was an attack that went through and wiped those out and was just leaving behind the word meow. <laughs> and uh so, you know, oh that's awful. Hackers bad. But also, um maybe my personal information was in some of those databases that got uh deleted and no longer available on the internet. So huh. <laughs>
2: So good for you, bad for the company that got meowed.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, huh. so wow. seems like I'm okay here. So I'm um, good. Good, bad, maybe. The article you
0: have here, which uh, th- we'll have all these articles in the r- resources we like section, or actually the this section will be in the news section. But ninety seven percent of the attacks hit Elasticsearch and MongoDB. Ninety seven percent of them,
2: which means that people were probably just deploying these things in their standard settings and not
0: locking them down. Yeah, and. So of you the know, four thousand databases, ninety-seven percent. And this is not the first time that Elasticsearch has been the subject of uh, default, you know, the, the the tyranny of the default, as uh, Steve yep. Gibson would refer to it. Yep. Um. And and security, uh, you know, be, being the uh, unfortunate, uh, you know, whatever target of security instance.
1: Well, the good news is uh, Elastic added uh, basic security into their basic plan. So, you know, in their kind of like open source, wink, open source uh, plan. Uh, (laughs) However, the default password has changed me. So, (laughs) you know. I thought (laughs) they had gotten rid of that. I thought they had wiped that out of it. Like it forced you to put in
2: a new password or something. Because I remember that being the problem in the past, too, was elasticsearch just shipped with the basic username and password and, and nobody ever changed it and that's why all of it happened I thought they had locked it down but maybe maybe so they before
1: didn't. 6 eight you didn't get any uh, authentication uh, in the fr- in the true open source or in the basic license which you know was like open source but you can't sell it right uh, you had to be gold or premium and 6.8 they brought the um, basic security and a few uh, some really nice stuff actually into um, the basic plan. So still not the like, uh, you know, Apache 2, whatever license stuff. So it's still, you know, you can't do whatever you want with it. But the basic plan, which is uh, we're still really lenient, does have authentication baked in by default. And it's, you know, crappy username and password, but uh, it's better than being totally wide open.
0: Can I just say like, holy cow, man, like hats off to you. You just knew that version number off the top of your head. (laughs) Like like, it was uh, no big deal too. Did you catch that, Alan? He's just like, oh, you know, like six point eight, proper blah, blah 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 blah. Of course, you knew that, like everybody.
1: <laughs> come on, I know man. more about ver- Elastic versions than I ever wanted to.
2: Yeah, they Elastic is the new JavaScript. They rev versions like every two weeks now. So, yeah,
1: so are they seven eight right now?
2: They're high. Yeah, I mean, yep. at the beginning of the year, they were in the sixes, right?
1: Uh, I forget when seven came out. Um, six point eight and like seven point two came out. I remember That's when they added security. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. So, uh, I have a
0: bunch of jokes this go around. <laughs> brings- so, if you like dad jokes and you like software development, this might be the podcast for you. <laughs> so, how about a joke before we get it started? Yes. Yeah. All right. So, uh, this one was shared to us by Jim on Slack. There's going to be several that he shared with us. So, get used to it. Two windmills are on a date, and one asks the other, so what kind of music do you like? And the other replies, I'm a big metal fan.
2: <laughs> awesome. That's, <Yep>. that's good. <laughs> All
0: right. <laughs> They're not going to get any better. I'm yeah. warning you now. <laughs> I'm warning you now. Awesome. Yep. I, I, I thought that was good. I, I told you. Okay. All right. Well, with that out of the way. Um, uh, <laughs> so how about we talk about the, uh, the second way. Yep. Let's do it. Implementing the technical practices of the second way more specifically.
1: All right. And so, um, when it comes to implementing, uh, basically we're looking at providing fast and continuing feedback from operations to development, which is, um, you know, kind of similar to the kind of stuff we talked about, uh, in the first way of flow. But the idea here is to allow us to find and fix problems early. And You know, we've talked a lot about, there's a lot of overlap here with um, some of the stuff we talked about last time, like the NUMI plan and Encore all that good juicy stuff. Um, But this is more practical.
2: Right. The big difference here is you're actually going to have ways to know when to action that stuff, right? So, yeah, I mean, I guess that brings us into the first major topic of this, which is you need to create telemetry to enable seeing and solving the problems that are happening in your infrastructure. And what the heck is telemetry? So, dude, I actually love this entire section of this book here because it speaks to me. So, yeah, um, we'll get to telemetry as we go on here a little bit. So, identifying what causes the problems can be difficult to pinpoint. Um, was it the code? Was it the networking? Was it something external that you didn't have that you didn't even think about, right? Could it have been a, a network switch? Could it have been something, right? Like trying to find those things and pinpoint them is really hard, right? I mean, how many times have you ever had an error and you're like, uh, I don't know, restart IIS, right? I mean, that kind of stuff happens uh, probably more than we'd like to admit. Um, so instead of doing that, hey, restart IIS, use a disciplined approach to identifying the problem. Don't just reboot the servers. Don't just restart the services. Don't do all that kind of stuff because when you do that you don't know what the actual root cause was. And this is what they say is the only way to actually do this effectively is to always be generating telemetry. And so I guess now getting back to your point, you want to tell us what telemetry is.
1: I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay, so oh, okay, uh, yeah. Go ahead.
0: No, no, no. You can go ahead and tell us about what telemetry is. I, I'm trying to find. There was an interesting uh stat in here. Um, let me see if I can find it while you're going.
1: Yeah, I was just looking at the kind of the Google definition here, and I just closed it. But uh basically, it's it's metrics that your app sends back. But what I was trying to specifically kind of hone in on is like. Uh, I, I would often hear about telemetry used to describe both like metrics about the health as well as metrics about how things are being used. And so, um, you know, I, I don't really know if there's a good distinction between like metrics and telemetry other than kind of the fact that maybe telemetry includes other stuff, but I was just trying to figure that out. If there was like an official definition that what that meant, but I mean, uh, kind of, I, I don't know. What do you think about when you hear telemetry? So here's the definition. Let's read it off of, and this
2: is the Google one, which I think comes from dictionary or I don't, I don't know where it comes from. Anyway, the process of recording and transmitting the readings of an instrument, right? So that doesn't actually tell well, you. That's clear as mud. <laughs> right, right. That doesn't tell you what Jay-Z just asked, which is, is this, I mean, um,
0: account of something? Is it like how something's working? Like it's, the, it's a mixture of the two. I think in in software, as it relates to software development, when I've thought about telemetry in the past, I've typically thought about it as like just a signal. that could just be like, Hey, this, this thing was clicked. This thing was used. This page was loaded, whatever. Right. And then that way, you know, you would have some kind of a framework or tool that you're using that would be capturing all those metrics. and Then you could go back in and log into that thing and then see like, okay, uh, you know, this product page was accessed by this particular route this much, this many times. And every time that it was used, it converted into this much, uh, you know, th- th- we had a sales conversion that equaled this, right? Right. Like, that's what I think of when I think of uh, telemetry. Not, I'm not thinking of it from the point of view necessarily of like, oh, hey, there's a bug here. There's a problem here or something's broken here. Like, I don't think of it in that regard. So I think I do. All right, so check this out. I,
2: I Googled software telemetry, and they have a better definition for us here. In software, telemetry is used to gather data on the use and performance of of applications and application components. Right. So that I think ties it all together into kind of what we're saying here. Right. So the use is just what outlaw said, right? Like so many people went to this page, the conversion rate was 5%, whatever people went to this other page conversion rate was 2%. You know, um, that's, that's one, but then the performance is, is it going fast Is it throwing errors? Is it, you know, whatever? Like, that's a whole nother set. So there's the use, and then there's the performance checking. And I think that's a really good definition, especially for what we're going to talk
0: about today. Yeah, I was trying to remember the last, um, what was that IBM product that we used to use? Do you remember? Oh, Real something? Oh, man. I can't remember the name of it.
1: Oh, why did you have to bring that up? It's on the tip of my brain. Yeah. Uh, It was in this chapter, too. Was it?
2: The yeah, it was.
0: They mentioned it. Um, not MQ. Uh, uh, I I don't remember it, but like that—that's what I was thinking of. And like, you know, when I think back to like how I've used telemetry in the past, it was about you know that kind of signal being sent back. So when I'm thinking of like a framework or whatever, like I'm—that's the kind of mindset that I have. Uh, this mystery framework that I can't remember. I mean, they. IBM bought the product and now they've changed the name of it. So I can't remember it, but there was a, there was this other interesting thing though, in here about related to, uh, you were talking about like identifying the, uh, the problem and not necessarily just rebooting it where there was this study from 2001 of, uh, a, a Microsoft study where they had found that, uh, organizations with the highest server level service levels rebooted their servers 20 times less frequently than average and had five times fewer blue screen of deaths. Right. And, and they go on to say, in other words, they found that the best performing organizations were much better at diagnosing and fixing service incidents rather yep. than just saying like, Oh, I don't know what the problem is. Just give it a reboot. Right. Core metrics, core, core metrics. Oh, so far off. I said
2: real something. So check this out. What they talk about with telemetry here is they say it needs to be in our applications, which we kind of know that, but also in our deployment pipelines. I would have never thought about this, being yeah, it's completely super honest. Good. Super good. Right? And, and we'll get to why it's super good here in a little bit, but just just that notion alone, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's cool. Um, here's one thing that I think will sound very familiar based off one of Outlaw's favorite things that we've talked about is... More metrics provide the confidence to change things. That that ring a bell? Yeah. Like unit tests, right? The unit tests give you the confidence to make changes because as you make those changes if something breaks, you know about it. If you have metrics in place and you make a change and all of a sudden your chart goes from, you know, a flat line down somewhere to just pegging, then you know something in that change caused a
0: massive problem, right? It's it's one of those key indicators. There was another awesome part about this chapter though that, um, uh, Joe, you, you hated it. You're going to hate this part of it, but there was a, an Etsy case study. <laughs> they, yeah. uh, they, they mentioned that like, uh, in the beginning, uh, Etsy was like creating dashboards for some of these, these metrics, uh, you know, based on the telemetry so that they could see like what was going on. And, um, they found it so useful that like they ended up. Making it to where it was like super simple for a developer to be like, Hey, you know what? I want to add a new, uh, a new dashboard to this page just so I can like see what's going on my part to where, you know, there was like hundreds of these dashboards that were happening, you know, within it so they could like track everything. And, the, and they, they were saying like the more that they could track, the better they could like respond and know what was happening.
2: Mm-hmm. I, and if I'm, <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly reading this, wasn't Etsy the creator of stats was is it? that is that true? No, I, that, that's not true. Is it? Hold on. No, there, it was a it was a pretty popular one.
1: Was it? Stats D was originally written at Etsy. There
2: you oh. go. <gasps> Crazy, right? Wow, I forget that. Yeah. I so, did not know so that. what you just said right there? Think about that, right? Like we think about Etsy, and all you think about is like somebody putting up some cute little you know knit blanket or something, right? <laughs> These people are the creator of a technology that is probably ubiquitous in our industry now for for telemetry gathering, right? Like that's that's crazy when you think about it. And dude, this also brings up another thought, and this is where we go off the tracks a little bit. What so that never yeah, happens. You know, it happens. Um so I it's been years ago, and I don't I don't remember who or where I read it or or, or saw it or what. But I heard somewhere that, you know, having a company like an e-commerce company is not some simple thing, right? Like when it turns into a real e-commerce company, you have teams and teams of people just trying to keep the thing alive, right? And so here's the interesting thing. I got to thinking about this and... I'm sure Etsy didn't start out where they needed stats tea, right? Like that's, that's not how it happened. It didn't go overnight. Have you ever thought about these, these open source shopping carts like Magento and, and some of these things and how quick do you hit a tipping point? Cause I doubt those things have this type of telemetry built in nor any of the other things built in that once you hit scale, you absolutely have to deal with like, Isn't that, I mean, isn't that crazy? Like there's, it's almost like we've talked about with SQL Server, right? Like performance can go from amazing to just abysmally bad once you cross some threshold. And I think that these problems that we're talking about here with like telemetry and all that kind of stuff, that isn't very important until it's so important that
0: you can't sleep at night, right? Yeah. I think it just starts out as like, how to say this, this is going to sound weird. You just have to be dumb about it and just go out there and create problems. But, but like focus on the problems that you want to, you want to solve first. Like the thing that you know that you're trying to do, like I want to sell a book. Right. And I'm just going to sell as many books as I can sell. Right. And, and I don't care about the technology of it. I'm just like, here's my store. I'm trying to sell a book and, and you know, and then eventually you're going to be like, you're going to wise up and be like, Oh, you know what? I had this problem where like, uh, I need to make this one aspect of it a little bit faster or a little bit better or, you know, I need to be, make better recommendations for like, oh, you like that book. You're also going to like this book or, you know, maybe I also want to sell movies or, you know, uh, kitchen, uh, pots and pans and whatever, you know, until eventually you keep, you know, iterating on, on the process and then you become Amazon and you take over the world.
2: Yeah. So here's the thing with that, and I completely agree with that. Never let all these details get in the way of starting something and building something and creating something, right? If you want to create a storefront and you want to sell widgets, do that and sell widgets, right? If you get to the point to where you can't sell those widgets because too many people want to buy them, well, then you've kind of crossed a good threshold in, in your path to success, right? But I think talking about like this telemetry thing is for us as developers, we need to be thinking about that when we're building our products, because guess what? It's real easy to put it in while you're stubbing this stuff out, right? It can be a lot harder to put this stuff in later
0: <laughs> and, and, and gather in the things. So it's a fine line, man. It, it, it is. It's like it, the same thing goes with unit testing, right? Like it's harder to put unit testing in after the fact and if you if you take the time to think about it and unit test up front, then you'll live in this world to where like you've mocked things out properly or you're using interfaces or whatever, you know, like all of these great principles and practices, right? But sometimes that's hard. Like you can't like to to put yourself in that mindset of a test driven development up front means like, okay, I'm never gonna build the store because I'm too busy like and I mean it sounds super negative for for me to say that but sometimes that's what happens and like you have people th- there there are ty- there there's you know a couple different types of people in the world right there's the type of person who's like I don't care I just want to build a stupid store and and it could be one giant uh DLL I don't care I'm building the store and you know unit test be damn right and and then they go off and build a store versus you know, the other people who are like, well, hmm, we need to have this thing scale for a billion concurrent users, even though they don't know about it yet. So let's try to properly architect this thing out. Now, what should, uh, what should, what framework should I use for my front end? Okay. And what, like, I need to have good unit testing, uh, in place and like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's another person who's like really super detail oriented that gets like lost in the minutia of it all. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's the person who doesn't care about the minutia of it and, and they build the thing. Right. Yep. You get and,
1: them and together.
2: The, yeah. And, and there's value in both. Right. Like there yeah. really is. There totally the, is. The person that's going to just go out and be like, I don't care. Right. Like I I want to create this store and I'm going to create the store and I'm going to make money with it. And they're good. Right. But at some point that's going to fall apart. And then you need that detailed person to help push that forward. Right. So it's uh, again, somebody I, has I, to be the Wozniak to your jobs. Yes, absolutely. And so I just called that out to let you know that it's almost like anything we talk about on on any of the topics we've ever covered, right? Like there's the go all in approach where your boss is probably going to smack you in the back of the head and be like, yo, dude. We gotta, we gotta ship a product, right? Yeah. I I, I know you want to build these 5 million things over here, but um, we can't release it in 2093, right? Like it's gotta happen sometime this year. So just be aware of it. Know that, but know that what we're talking about with telemetry is hyper important. Um, and we'll get to a bunch of the reasons why.
1: So I'll uh, tell you, like, yeah, you know, it's definitely like if you go off to build a product and you spend the first two weeks learning about frameworks and you give up, you know, because you never actually got to the, you know, whatever that that stinks. But I do think when it's time to start a new project that you actually want to like you want the result of the project, you want to publish this thing, uh, and it's not just kind of messing around on the couch. Then I think it makes sense to really start with unit tests and start with a basic CI pipeline, even if it's Travis or Circle CI. Just get that thing set up in the beginning and. It stinks, especially if you're not used to doing that sort of thing. But if you get to where you're okay with Dogger Hub and the builds and whatever after you've done it a few times, it's really not that bad. And then yeah. it's gonna help you from there on. And they have great getting started guys for both of those.
2: And once it's set up, it's you well, I say it's it's not like code that you're revisiting all the time, right? Yeah.
1: Much <laughs> easier to keep it going. Right. So and they work together. Exactly. It, you can get that little uh, unit test coverage badge right on your you know, GitHub repository from day one, and then it's so much easier to keep that going and keep that number improving than it is to the other way to, uh, the other way around.
0: There, totally. it, it's like the what would you say, like a proverb or whatever. Like, uh, it, and it, it's repeated multiple times in the um, the the companion book. I guess you could call it a companion book, the Phoenix Project, where yes. perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah. Right. And so, like, that that's the fine line, right? Like, hey, if, if you building that store gets you to market and it, and it gets you money in your pockets, but it's a single DLL, like, all right. I mean, if it's good enough to start getting you money, then fine. Right. Right? Yeah, it doesn't and have Twitter to be Twitter to not become upfront. Twitter overnight. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, they I, only you know, just recently expanded to 288 characters. I mean, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> slow down, man. Slow down. <laughs> but
1: I, I do think there's a lot of value in that CI pipeline at first, especially if you're not a DevOps person. It could be frustrating. But if you're trying to write, uh, say, an NPM package, guess what? <laughs> like, if you're manually uploading that thing, it stinks. And it's – you're yeah, you're just not going to do it. But if you set that up on the first day or, uh, you know, if you've got a website and you've got a, a place you're deploying, it, if you get that deployment automated the first day, every other day from there on will be easier.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with that. I, I think that, like, we're probably going to be the type of people that are going to, like, you know, that minutia is going to matter to us, right? And we're going we're gonna to focus on that and try to, like, solve that
1: kind of problem up front. Yeah. Now that said, I do totally suck with like Travis Travis and Circle CI. <laughs> <The> last, <laughs> last like the last couple weekends that I went to work on like a side project, I got kind of hung up on those things. So you know, I'll let you know if that works out for me. But uh, that's what I'm trying to practice what I preach here. I'm trying to get like unit tests and CI day one on any project that I actually plan on pursuing.
0: Very cool. So there was a uh, in in multiple parts during the the book they reference like different. Um, the state of DevOps reports like different years for it. And, and there's this one section where they mentioned that companies that track telemetry are 168 times faster at resolving incidents than companies that don't per the 2015 state of DevOps report. That's crazy. 168 times faster. Yeah, and it makes sense good. too. Cause they like have like, they they're already getting stats and pinpoint to like, Oh, this is the thing. Right. So they kind of already have ideas. They're like, they're getting little bits of knowledge as they go along without even realizing that they're getting it or that they need to care about it yet, but they're seeing it.
2: And they did say that the two things that actually contributed to this increased MTTR, which I believe we defined as medium time, median time to resolution Mm -hmm. um, was that operations was using source control and proactive monitoring telemetry which is super cool. Source control and telemetry.
0: Well, that it was ops team. Yeah. The operations, not the development team. Yeah. Right. That's, that's The the key there.
2: People keeping it alive. So yeah, the next section that we get into here is create centralized telemetry infrastructure. So I think this is important and, and I think you will too afterwards. So you have to create a comprehensive set of telemetry from your application metrics to your operational metrics so you can see how the system operates as a whole
0: so by the way as we talk about telemetry here does it you know we mentioned core metrics as the example right uh do you think that like a grafana would count? Yes. It's oh, they yeah, actually sure. call it out later in the chapter. Because that, Oh sorry. No, they, go ahead. Well, cause the reason why I was thinking about that is like, you know, I brought up core metrics, uh, kind of <laughs> earlier. Um, I couldn't remember the name, but I brought it up. Uh, but, but I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of different in the types of metrics that they're doing, like the, the types of, uh, things that they're showing you, you know? Well, so Grafana is just
2: your charting thing, right? I think that plus Prometheus. Is
0: where you get into Wasn't the Pr- thing. But isn't Prometheus just the database at that point that Grafana is visualizing?
2: So not completely. So I, I think that's what's important is Prometheus is the thing that is gathering the things, but you can also have it do counts of metrics as they come in, right? So it,
0: Wait, I thought and, something else was doing the gathering, like a Jaeger, for example. And Prometheus kinda, was just a, a time time series database. That's what I thought. Am I wrong?
1: It is a time series. Yeah, go ahead. Jaeger doesn't have the database. You have to give it either like Prometheus or Elastic or some other kind of storage.
2: Right. So it is the database. But what it does on top of just being the database is because it's a time series, you can tell it to aggregate certain events, right? Like so if you have logins. And and I I don't think I'm speaking improperly here, but like, let's say that you have authenticated logins, right? You can have it count that per X number of time, right? So you're shipping logs constantly. Prometheus gets it and it can say, oh, okay, well, you said that you wanted to group by this logon, this authenticated logon, right? And so it'll give you the metrics for that. And then Grafana can pick that up and say, oh, okay, I know that you want to chart authenticated logins on here and so so I think those two together give you the story the 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 core metrics core metrics might even do it a little bit further like you're probably going to have to piece it together a little bit more manually with the grafana and the prometheus thing but it's the combination of the two that I think gets you closer to what you're talking about yeah and
1: you know, I was going to say too um I am very 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 not interested in writing telemetry gathering code there are so many great ways to do it, I don't know that we really hit on that yet. Like, there's no way I would start out by saying, "Okay, well, let me design a table and let me add a count column and let me." No way. Yeah. I'm totally gonna throw in uh, StatsD or you know Prometheus or Grafana. Like .dotnet uh, has um, I forget what they call it, but it's basically like the Open Tracing kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. They've got the analytics in Azure. Like, there's so many different ways to do this. Just whatever language or framework you're using, start there and Google telemetry and see what mm-hmm. other people are doing in that space before you start, because you could get probably. 85 90 percent of what you want by dropping in a package and hooking up a data store and a ui for dashboards without having to go off and spend all this time doing this stuff so it's amazing how easy it is to start with telemetry i'm always surprised at how easy it is to just start especially if you're in like kubernetes world like oh if you're in java land forget about it It's it's wonderful like all that stuff just plays nice together so it's really rare for something to not just kind of plug in with a modern framework
2: yeah, so super, super, super important to do what you said is look at the framework, look at the infrastructure language of whatever you're using, because they all have different things, but they all have really good things. So if you're in Azure, like you said, right, like they've got the telemetry that'll feed into Azure, and you can see on your dashboards when you log into Azure. Same thing, I'm sure, with AWS, GCP, whatever. If you're using Kubernetes, it all pipes through. um Oh, man, what's not... Not etcd. What's the thing that ships stuff back and forth in there? I can't even remember now. It all goes through a controller, though, and that's why Prometheus is super popular for Kubernetes because it has a standard way of shipping logs in Kubernetes. So yeah, look at your framework that you're using because you can plug these things in, like you said, with a package, and you're good to go. Yeah, at least with like a
0: Prometheus or Grafana, you know, there's no cost associated to it, like there is with a Core Metrics, but. I think right. the value though that core metrics would give you over Prometheus and Grafana is that uh like it's able to you're able to attribute money, right? So it's not just like like hey here's a here's a usage over time of my you know service or whatever, you know. You could you could attribute it back to money. That, you know. <laughs> yeah it's going to matter it, from a marketing
1: point of view. You could do a lot of that with open source tools, but yeah, it's definitely not kind of it, like the application insights was the Azure thing I was thinking of. And uh, if you drop like the, the right bits into your.net project, then you're going to get uh, tracing from front to back. You're going to get Google analytics type uh, stats on what people are clicking, and what they're doing. And you're gonna be able to tie that back to performance metrics, which is amazing. And it's so easy to set up. You're going to pay for it. And even with Prometheus Grafana, yeah, it's, it's open source. But uh, if you're sending a lot of metrics, if you're polling, you know, a lot of, was it um whatever points per second, Uh, it can add up real fast and cost can be a a big factor, just like with logging. You know, it's a lot of data to move around. Well, here's the thing though that we're not even
0: talking about related to telemetry is that the thing, one of the cool aspects of having it is you can know if there's a portion of your code that is like really not even used. Because if you have code that exists in your your system, right? And let's say it's only used like 0.1% of the time it still doesn't matter. It could still, you still have to maintain it. If you go to refactor anything, guess what? It's still going to come up, you know, as much. It And sometimes, you could have code that might only be used one point, you know, 0.1% of the time, but yet, it's far more complex. Or, you know, anytime you touch it, it takes, you know, significantly more time to go and edit it or do anything with it, you know, because maybe it's old or whatever. You know, if you have, metrics that show you like how often something's being used, it might be easier to make the decision of, you know what, we can drop that feature because nobody cares about it.
2: But, but also don't just take it as it's not used that much as meaning it's not important, right? Cause it could be that, hey, they only have to click this button once a day to create some sort of report. Right? Well, okay. So, I mean, yeah, yeah,
0: you need to, you need to take it into consideration. This is where, this is where like going back to core metrics, for example, where you can attribute dollars to it makes sense because, right. you know, yeah, if you only click that thing, if that thing only gets clicked like once a quarter, but every time it gets clicked, it brings in a billion dollars of revenue. That, right. You right. probably want to keep that thing, right? That That's yeah. the magic button that you definitely want to keep. Maybe even make it a little bit bolder or something. I don't know. but <laughs> <laughs> Hey, click it once a month.
1: <laughs> hey, oh, man. Looking at stuff uh, over time is fantastic, too. It's like all of a sudden you're like, that's weird. Um, checkouts from uh, Internet Explorer on my uh, shopping cart page have dropped by 30% since Wednesday. Hmm. What did we right. release yeah, Wednesday? Right. Exactly.
2: Yep. So – Getting back into this, when they said seeing the whole, the the system as a whole, part of that is you need to collect data at the business logic layer, the application and the environmental layers, right? Um, events, logs, metrics, all three different things, right? Um, those are all things that you're actually shooting in to get your telemetry. Um, the event router that stores the, is the thing that stores the events of the metrics. And that's what actually enables you to visualize these things, the trending, the alerting, anomaly detection. If you've heard about that, right? Like if you're constantly getting a stream of data in and then all of a sudden something changed in it, that's an anomaly. And you can set up these things like, um, I believe Prometheus actually allows you to set up anomaly detection, right? So, so you get a lot of that stuff in there. And I'm sure that all these other ones do as well. Um, this is where I was talking about when, when we were talking about like having authenticated logins or whatever and doing counts by that. This at this event router, this is also where that happens, right? So it can group by known elements and then that way give you counts of it. So you don't care necessarily that each authentication happened, but you do care that there were a thousand of them this hour. And then the next hour it dropped to five. What in the world? Right? Like what, what happened? What changed?
1: Um, So, you know, on on that note too, like one thing uh, when I started working with tracing that I didn't understand is like, okay, so tracing, the the idea there is that you'll have some sort of like transaction ID or something, some sort of ID that kind of associates different logs together. And so say in the logs, it'll kind of dump out this uh, magic GUID or whatever. And then later you can go and search in your logs for that GUID and see all the different actions and different places that that hit through multiple different services. But, you know, I was like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. I guess I could build that myself. But the thing is they're <laughs> really good tools. And we mentioned Jaeger, there's the Open Tracing Project. These tools uh will take care of that for you and they have some other niceties too, but the thing is they have great UIs around it. So they'll help you find and discover problems and go through and trace things and they will help you visualize it. So you're not just going into something like a Stack Driver or, you know, like CloudWatch or whatever and like trying to find some magical ID and you know correlate the stuff yourself. It's got all that stuff that kind of happens with you and it helps you correlate and whatnot. And so the tooling around that is just super good. Assuming you're in the
0: same language though, right? Like that could get hairy if you wanted to trace something from like a dot net web API and then the call that call that it made to say like a a Java uh or Kotlin based service somewhere.
1: Like that. So things are getting so much better. Open tracing, uh, the open tracing project, uh, CNCF is kind of pushing it now, but it's basically meant to be like a, a simple, and there's, there's been other initiatives too, like mentioned Jaeger, they have a kind of a, a, f- a special format, uh, same with Zipkin. So these are like kind of tracing formats that as long as your front end, your back end, your different distributed services know how to kind of speak that same language, then basically you can pa- kind of pass this trace around between different systems. And I still don't understand how that exactly works, but uh, basically when you kind of, initiate the event you generate the transaction id and somehow the framework knows how to kind of pass that along between different systems
0: well that well that's where i was going to go with that example too is that like you could see why that might be valuable right to be able to see that like oh okay. this the user made this request on our our front end uh that then went to our our web api layer which let's say it was in c sharp and then that c sharp layer made a call out that went to some kotlin Uh, service right and and if you have this unique id that follows through all of these different systems in their different languages then uh it it can you know help you piece together like what happened
1: yeah for sure and uh, that's what the the distributed tracing tools like open tracing are, are all about and i mean ultimately it's passing the transaction so like your front end needs to be able to pass that id on to the next system the next system needs to know how to how to handle that but like theoretically there's not much kind of wrapping and unwrapping of the ins and outs on these things. On these different services and even things like kafka are uh, the tools around it are are able to speak with like open tracing and so you're able to trace this stuff through queues through services through front ends through back ends um through database transactions But it definitely you are plugging in pieces at each one of those like there's nothing for free but they're all using the same open saturn and and as far as your stuff goes when you're coding you know at most you're adding the transaction id or making sure that it propagates from one message to the next but it even deals with stuff like forking splitting dead ends errors you can augment uh, information and all that stuff like if you say like hey i'm adding some metadata about this transaction id that doesn't have to go in your message payload it just has to be associated with that id and as long as your you know data storage kind of at the center of this tracing knows how to associate those things back together then you can kind of like provide this uh, additional information along the way across dif- dis- different systems. And ultimately all you really need to do is just make sure you format and carry along that transaction ID. So earlier we
0: talked about like adding uh telemetry to our, our deployment pipelines. Right. But like, well, okay, what does that mean? Right. And so one of the things we had here was like, well, how many unit tests fail? But immediately I was like, well, gee, if any
1: of them failed, that yeah. you shouldn't be deploying, no, right? <laughs> 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 Greater than zero. Eh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do like seeing, um, like you can like, you see, like uh, I think in Azure DevOps, um, like the success rate of different kind of builds mm-hmm. or deployments. Things so are like, hey, um, this is your area and uh, it fails 70% of the builds. Like, why aren't you running the, the unit test? But like this other project over here, like, you know, the builds are almost always successful. So like, what's different about those?
0: Yeah, I, I really do love the way that, uh, Azure DevOps presents that. Like Jenkins has a similar kind of thing where it's like, you know, it's either bright and sunny or it's cloudy and rainy or whatever, you know, which uh, I'm like, you know, depending on like how bad it is, it, it is how severe the, the storm is. But it's also based on like, you know, at least by default based on like, you know, the last five builds, right? Where it's like, okay, I don't really care, but I'd rather like see something more in more aggregate level, like what uh, Azure DevOps is doing. You want numbers. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of the the whole weather thing, the, w- the weather. Smiley thing. Yeah,
1: paradigm that they're using. It's like, whatever. I mean, also, it, it looks terrible. It looks like 1997weather.com.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it really does. It really does. 1997 called and they want their website back. Uh, uh-huh. it it also is it's also like right, right up there with like a doctor where they'll give you like a smiley face chart and they're like, Oh well, point to the pain, like which one of these smiley faces is it? And you're like, I don't care, man. Like it's it hurts a lot. Right. Which <laughs> one is a lot? <laughs> <laughs> which one of these smiley faces means a lot. Uh-huh. But you know, it but they 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 do call out like to you know, like one of the you know, metrics that you could collect is like how long do the builds take, right? And how long does it take to execute the test? and most of the build pipelines that i've seen like jenkins uh team city azure like they they all you know have like you can see like a a stat about like you know how long did the last builds take and you can get like a feel for like how long is is the next one going to take right and and based on that uh a lot of them will even um Azure DevOps and Jenkins are especially coming to mind in this regard. Actually, uh, team city does the same thing where like based on that historical knowledge of how long it has taken in the past, it'll kind of like estimate like, Hey, this is how much time we think is left. And if it goes over that, then, you know, it'll, it'll, you know, Oh, it's going in, you know, it'll call it out that it's, you know, going past whatever metric it thought it would take, but they definitely do, uh, um, you know, try to visualize that for you, though.
2: Well, the good thing about this, too, right, is knowing how long they take to build and execute. Again, it's that whole thing of, you know, it was always taking a minute before. Now it's taking 10. What changed, right? Like what what was introduced either into the, the DevOps pipeline or what changed in the code that introduced this so that so that you have something actionable.
1: This is all about having actionable items. Like who accidentally checked in their documents directory? And what's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> the build suddenly uh, ten gigs bigger. Exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. They just say uh, telemetry should be accessible via APIs. Oh, uh, well, I just wanted but, to back
0: up one moment because, like, what, what one of the metrics from the deployment that wasn't covered is like at least from like the build perspective is that you could also or that we at least we didn't talk about yet was like stats related to. Uh, um, oh shoot, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, like static code analysis, you know, like, oh yeah, um, yeah. you know, you, you, you could see like, um, what is our test coverage percentage? And, you know, if we go, if we fall below a threshold, maybe we, we fail to build because of that. Right. Because like you've added you like in your documents example, right? Okay. Well, now we've added in a lot more, uh, it probably wouldn't be found as code, but you know, a lot more, a lot more lines of code got added, and now, you know, our our our, our percentage drops. So that that should be meaningful, right? Yeah. or so, independent
1: so, be like give you a letter, like a grade school letter, C minus.
0: Yeah, independ can do that. that. Uh, like um, Team City, if I remember right, uh, had something with um dot cover where it would show you like um code code coverage, you know, as a as a stat. That's really nice.
2: right. Now. Uh, N- now back to what you were saying, Jizzy.
1: Yeah, APIs. <laughs> yeah, telemetry should be accessible via APIs. Uh, I have had APIs available, but I've never used any of them. So I'm kind of wondering uh, what y'all thought of that. Like, uh, would you actually take action if you see certain things happen, or is it just for exporting to other systems?
2: Uh, there, there was actually, so here, read the next bullet we got, and then let's go back to it.
1: Uh, the telemetry should be usable without the application that produced the logs.
2: Okay, so this this actually goes back to something you said a few minutes ago that was super important, was not just having these stats or these telemetry hitting things. They typically have good UIs wrapped around them. That's why they talked about the APIs, because they, they actually had a story. I don't remember if it was – I think it was a LinkedIn person um, back in the day. It might have been Etsy. I can't remember now. But they said, essentially, if there was a problem – Then they would actually have to get somebody to go generate a report, which essentially meant going and running queries from various different systems, putting them all together, stitching them together, you know, trying to visualize them. And 30, 45 minutes later, they had a report that they would have. Right. And this one person started, I don't remember if it was an internship or what, but they basically said, you know, he went in and said, okay, or it might have been a she, I don't even remember. But, hey, let me let me turn this into a visualization so that people don't have to create a ticket to then go get the visualization, which is going to take an hour to get, right? Instead of that, let me create this thing that can go talk to these APIs, get them, and graph them so that you can just look at it. And it turned out that this little project that was started at the beginning of summer ended up being a massive hit. And it started being used on everything. They started setting up TVs around the office and every TV had the the telemetry showing on it constantly, whatever. And there was actually a name for it.
0: And I, I want to say it was a LinkedIn project, but um, it LinkedIn, I was thinking it was part of the Etsy dashboard that we were talking about earlier, but now that you say LinkedIn, I'm thinking you're right. I think it, I think it was,
2: but so that's the reason for the APIs, right? Is because if if the telemetry is accessible via APIs, then anything that needs it has fast access to it without somebody having to go stitch it together by hand, which was the big issue. And and the other thing was this whole not being um, you don't have to have the other application running to see it. That's the other thing, right? Like once it leaves that application, it should be in its in the telemetry storage somewhere and you should be able to get it easily because easy is the key access and they actually, w- we'll talk about it in a little while. They are serious about easy access. Um. So I guess while outlaws looking up the story, because <laughs> I think he's, he's flipping through the book right now. Yeah.
0: I think I found it. I think if it's, if it's, if this is the one I'm thinking of, it was LinkedIn. And I think the thing that they caught it was inversion. No, that's not it. That's not ringing a bell. No.
2: Inversion's not ringing a bell. It, w- it was some sort of cutesy name. I, ca- I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but that one doesn't ring a bell. All right, so we'll move on while he's looking at that. So the next one is create application logging telemetry that helps production.
1: Yeah, and um, if you've ever seen logging frameworks, it's really common to have um basically like the same five levels that you'll see just all over the place because it's kind of like boiled down to industry standards. And sometimes you'll see custom ones, but for the most part... Uh, Sticking to the basic ones uh, will set you free. And we've actually got a list here. Uh, So I'll just say them real quick, and then we'll go back uh, over each one. We got uh, five levels of logging. Debug, info, warn, error, and fatal. I've never actually used fail or seen it, I don't think.
0: I don't think I have either. You've never, like, used fatal in, like, all your log for net days. You've never used fatal, like, if you had an exception. I don't think I have failed. either.
2: And and honestly, that's why I thought it was so important that we list these five out and then also give the definition of when they should be used. Because I know for a fact that I've misused some of these based off the definitions they have. Oh, yeah. As I'm sure everybody else has.
0: Yeah. Apparently not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So we'll go through, uh, so debug logs are extremely verbose. Uh, these are logs that are just about, uh, about everything that happens in the application. Other times you'll see developers putting in information here while they're working on stuff and they just kind of leave it because typically you disable debug logs in production because it's just too much data. It slows down your application. So unless you like need to turn it on for like an emergency, this is typically off in production and even in dev, it's pretty obnoxious. So yeah. a lot of systems, like, you'll kind of turn it on or um, a lot of logging frameworks will let you kind of target and say, say, I want debug for this package or this namespace and not for this one. And uh, so that's really nice because, yeah, t- debug logs can be just awful sometimes. <laughs> oh, geez. And uh, info. So info are typically action-based logging. And I've not heard this before. And these are generally uh, actions initiated by the system, or the user, and uh, they're really important for saving the order that things happen in. a No,
2: system. no, not saving the order. An example is like, hey, I'm saving my order, or I'm yeah. adding to a shopping cart, or I'm doing. That makes something much like. more sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is why I thought these were important was because the info is an action-based type thing, right? Whereas the debug is, you could have a debug line on every other line in your method. Which, don't by the way, I don't. I, I'm curious about what you guys. I've yet to come across a good way of logging code and not dirtying up your regular code. Anything you, you guys have anything like aspects? Oh I, yeah. Not, sure. not even. No, not even. Cause I, I've thought about that too. Right. And aspects are amazing for if you want an entry point into a method or the exit point of a method to show the States as are coming in. But if you have things happening in the method, you say, Hey, You know, I want to log before calling database save, log after calling database save, log this, whatever. It just makes your code. uh, It's like a trash bin, right? Like, I I don't know any other way to put it.
1: I I don't know a way around it. So (laughs) uh, There are certain systems where I really want debug logging. Like, if it's something I can just kind of, you know, hit F5 and, like, literally debug... Uh, in my IDE, then I'm much less likely to write debug statements. If it's something like, uh, I don't know, like a Spark or a Flink or something where I'm kind of like delivering this package and it's going to run it in parallel on multiple systems, you can't set a breakpoint, right? You need to have, uh, like logging levels so you can kind of see what's going on. Um, so I, I guess I'm more likely to kind of leave it there, but I just don't, I don't like seeing like a, a 40 line method and like even 10 of them are debug lines. It's like, nah.
2: I know that and, and, but that's the thing like you brought up flink and and spark if you're running a job that's running on a system that you don't necessarily you you can't see what's going on you need that crazy amount of logging when something goes wrong otherwise you got nothing to go off of
1: what would go wrong? I mean, if it compiles, it's going to run, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. No. Uh, no. Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made myself mad saying that.
0: <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Okay. It was going to drive me nuts if I didn't find this, but I found it. Wait, 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 it what? was LinkedIn. Okay. And, and his name was Eric Wong, or is Eric Wong, uh, and he was a summer intern. It was his summer intern project at LinkedIn, and the product name was InGraphs. Ah, and it was their, I got eighty percent of the story correct yeah <laughs> it it was their their uh visualization for it and it ended up becoming massive yeah. they use it for everything yeah this Still simple you- little intern you know summer intern project ended up being the thing that <laughs> they relied on for years yep crazy really cool stuff. All right.
2: So the next one we have, so we we covered debugging info again. Info is an action taken. So, you know, something is supposed to happen in the system. The next one's warn something you log when it looks like there might be a problem. You're not logging a catch. You're logging something like, hey, I saw a state of this and this state doesn't look right. Right. Like whatever it might be. That's a warn. Um, I'll t- you'll typically see these when somebody is using a deprecated setting. Like in a lot of open source projects, you'll see warn, hey, this this feature is deprecated. You
1: should use X instead, right? Something like that. Yeah, this is actually my favorite one. This is the one that I write the most often. Uh, so, and there'll be something where like a case where it's like, well, I know that in dev, for example, maybe I don't have the system hooked up, and so it's not easy to integrate with. So. Uh, it's not uncommon for us to not have a setting for something, but in production it would be horrible if I wasn't communicating with this third party service. So I want to have a warning there. So you know, if it it runs and we see this in production, we know that it's a problem. But in dev, maybe it's not. Hmm. Like, like warning, that. no service uh, API key was set. We're, you know, not sending email or something like that. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe you could argue that it should be an error in production. I could have done that differently. But yeah, I I just love warnings. I love to throw in, like, hey, didn't see this thing. Are you sure? It's fine, but are you sure? Right. So the next one we had up was error. This one's
2: a little bit easier because it really, I think, in most cases should happen in a catch block. Maybe not yeah. always, right? Like you might you might be checking or validating things as they come into a method and say, hey, you didn't pass me the transaction ID that I needed in order to do this stuff. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna log this as an error and then throw immediately. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So I do some of these, it's just not as many as the ones because there's usually some sort of like global error handler that's gonna <laughs> get most of the stuff uh, that I want, but it's usually just when I want to kind of augment uh, something specific about the context or some additional information I know that's not going to show up in the stack trace.
2: Hey, and outlaw, you want to take this one? it's like you are the one who's actually ever
0: used it. <laughs> I can't believe I'm I'm alone here. Fatal is you log when something has to exit, and you're logging why. This is a fatal error. error. To that's the what I,
1: I've always done. Error. I, I failed. <laughs> is it like a deeper red in the logs? Typically, <laughs> it probably is. It's a deeper shade of soul. Uh, On PowerShell, when like something gets hosed, and like. Something like, you know, does a log error warning and then from forever on until you shut the terminal, like the text is red.
0: <laughs> I hate that so much. And you leave it as red? Yeah. So, some,
1: well, it's, it gets hosed and it's like
2: just stuck. Uh, so this is this is the reason why I wanted to call out the definitions of these things because obviously Jay-Z and I have both been doing fatal wrong or not doing it at all. I would venture to say most people don't do a- info properly. And and even debug, there's no rules. Debug, do whatever you want, right? Like you, you can put as much garbage in there as you want. But here's what they say. These log levels are more important than you think. And it's because, think about this. this. This was an example they gave in the book and I thought it was awesome. They used the example of low ink toner. If it threw an error and somebody got paged in the middle of the night because a printer was low on toner... You think they'd be happy about it? Right. No. It's an info. Hey, Clearly this right. thing this thing's low on toner. You might want to do something or maybe a warn. Yo, this thing's low on, but it's not an error. <laughs> so, I thought that was excellent. Um and then a real quick list of things that should be logged. And this is by no means exhaustive even though it's longer than what I probably even wanted to put in here, but so I'll blow through these quick authentication events. System Or data access, you know, database type things, system or app changes, Um, data operations such as CRUD, things going to your database, invalid input, resource utilization, which, by the way, backing up on the invalid input, that one's probably way bigger than you think, because this is how a lot of people try and gain access to your system through errors, right? Um, Health and availability is a big one. Startups and shutdowns, faults and errors. Circuit breaker trips, delays, and backup success or failure. Like all of these things. And again, it's not an exhaustive list, but you can see if you're doing
0: something, you should probably be logging it somewhere, somehow. I do think that some care should be taken on some of these. Like we should, we should, you know, some of these should be like asterisk, right? So like the system or data access or the data operations, like CRUD operations, like what I don't think that you should log is like every SQL statement that you ever make. Right. Like there might be some that would be safe, but you know, there might be some that have sensitive information that you don't want logged. Right. You, you don't want to have, have a a copy of that because maybe, maybe the database itself is like encrypted at rest, but your log file is plain text. right? Right. So you might have some constraints there that you need to take care with the things that you do log to, to you know, personally identifiable information, you don't want to log. Yep. And that's dangerous too, right? Like, that's not an easy thing. Oh, I mean, Um, especially in like a GDPR world that we live in now. Right. Right? Like, you know, you could definitely have some problems there with, you know, if you were to log some of that stuff and it's in plain text and, you know, easily accessible.
2: It Um, wouldn't be crazy to think that you could have some sort of module that just tries to filter out PII or any sensitive information, right? Like, so any logs before they actually get written, you you don't. So like, let's say for instance, in in most applications, you'll, you'll have some sort of log abstraction in there, right? Like log.info, log.warn. It's not crazy to think that that should actually go through another
0: layer that says, Hey, if you see anything like this, Kill it. Right. Well this Who is knows. this is why I'm saying take care. Cause like in the right. example that you're talking about, you're assuming that like it's within your application layer that you're doing the writing. But for example, let's say in your database, right, you can turn on logging to where like Postgres will log every call made. And it's not necessarily going to know the things that you care to protect. Right. Right? Like why would it? Right. So yeah, you probably don't want those things being written out to a plain text log file right uh, on some sort of event router somewhere
1: yeah yeah Can I just hate too that I love seeing successes in logs like how many times have you been like did the email go out well I don't see an error <laughs> um, so give it 15 minutes and we'll you know let's go to lunch and we'll see if it can't do it yeah I love that's
2: success. super important though. I think, so that, man, that's a really good point that I don't even think that they called out explicitly here is the whole point of telemetry is to see how things are flowing through a system and see if the system's healthy, right? If you're not logging successes, which would be an info, right? Like, like what you were saying, email successfully sent, that should be an info thing. And then that way, anytime something was attempted, you can also go count those things later, right, and say, "Hey, we had a thousand successful emails that sent this hour." Right, next hour there
0: were ten. There's a problem. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring platform for real-time observability and detailed insights into Docker performance. And we've been talking about tracing this whole time. If you want to be able to trace your your uh, you know your logs dot data dogs built-in capabilities they have it there for you uh even down to you know seeing what the visibility into your docker
1: containers and talk about telemetry you get enhanced visibility into container orchestration with a live container view and you can easily detect clusters that are consuming x-source resources uh and using an auto-generated container map
2: yeah. And let's keep in mind Datadog's entire platform is about telemetry and visibility, right? Which is exactly what we've been talking about today. And out of the box, they collect critical metrics from each Docker container so you can get immediate visibility into your aggregated and disaggregated service level traffic. I mean,
0: we were talking about like the dashboards that like Etsy and LinkedIn were using, right? Like, That's the type of dashboards that you can easily create with Datadog, and their built-in integr. They do you know they have over four hundred plus built-in integrations. That's crazy, insane. Let me okay. There's you. You can't possibly use a technology that they don't cover. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm so, you know, we're talking about Docker at the moment, but you know, because let's face it. You should probably be using Docker. I've heard it's the new Git. Um, but yeah, so they, they've got you covered, right? You even anything within your Kubernetes cluster, they've got you covered. So try Datadog today. Start your free 14 day trial. Receive your Datadog t shirt. Uh, just by creating your first dashboard, go to DatadogHQ.com slash coding box to get started. Again, that's Datadog hq.com slash CodingBox and find out how
1: you can trace your logs. All right. Hey, so it's that time again. Uh, I got the beg again. Uh, I've run out of stuff to do. So uh, <laughs> you know, if um, if you can leave a review and let me know what I can do to help encourage you write a review. I'm so bad at this. I don't know why my name's here. I'm so sorry. But if you go to CodingBox.net slash review, we try to make it easier for you. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> And if we get, uh, for, if we get like one new review by the
0: next episode, Jay Z is going to dance for us. Uh, and yeah, it'd be awesome, right? Sound okay. fair? Okay. I see, I see you warming up over there.
1: Yep. Yep. I'll do some yoga, yoga moves. Use uh, it. That's a dance, right? Anyway.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So how about, uh, well, I mean, we all know what's, what section's coming next, but, how about a joke instead? Let's do it. So uh, another one that Jim from Slack shared with us. <laughs> Working on my next programming joke. It's eighty percent complete. <laughs> I see you questioning, Alan. That one didn't work for you.
2: Uh, that that one didn't. That one it, it's like, too
1: true. It's too close to home. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. Uh, how does that one not? How do you not get that?
1: I did just get it. All right,
0: I'm good. such <laughs> a delay. I was like, but I always <laughs> yeah. finish my stuff. I don't understand like,
2: uh, Yeah, I should have gotten that because I guess I get more close to twenty percent. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. the thing. I was like, eighty percent, come on, that ain't right. Yeah. That's that's, that's unrealistic. All right, yeah, I we'll just on. gotta I just gotta how, how, how about how about then maybe you'll like this one better, Alan. I, I liked it. I, I have a joke about object oriented design, but it has no class. <laughs> I told you, they're not going to get any better. Uh, you have been good. warned. All right. So, with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show, Survey Says. All right. So, uh, a few episodes back, we asked, how many hours per week do you work on average? And your choices were, strictly 40, work-life balance is a must, or... Less than forty, I value my time. or more than forty, but less than sixty. Why do I do this to myself? Or more than sixty, please help me. Okay, so uh, I think Alan went first last time, right? So I think so. so Joe, you go first. Oh boy, yeah, so define work. Um, Well, according to the DevOps Handbook, we haven't defined work yet. We have defined done, so I I can't help you
1: there. Yeah, we did define done. Uh, Production-like environment with telemetry and tests. Uh, I'm going to say strictly 40 work-life balance is a must. Okay. And then wink. (laughs) Yeah, wink.
0: What's your percent, though? Wink. Oh, that was the... (laughs) No, uh, I'll say 38%. 38%. Okay. Yep. I like it. Uh, I'm going to say
2: more than 40, but less than 60. Why do I do this to myself? And I'll go with 34%. Okay. And and, and I'll only do this because I don't know how many, like, I think there's different rules, like in Europe for how many hours you're allowed to work a week. So I don't know how many people would have answered this outside the States Mm -hmm. because it could drastically change what this one goes to.
0: Right. So I'm curious on this one. I like it. Some thought, some logic to it. All right. So uh, Joe says strictly 40 at 38%, and Alan says more than 40 but less than 60 with 34%, right? And the winner is. Is there a winner? Alan Underwood, come on down. Boom. Yep, uh, it was uh, more than forty, but less than sixty. At forty-eight wow. percent, wow, yeah, forty-eight percent. Now, strictly forty was the second most, but it's. Like, can we talk about this less than forty group? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, what are y'all doing? It's yeah, how many, how,
0: how many were there? How do you pull that off? Like, I want, like, I want to know what's the well, percentage uh, for the less than forty? It was a fourteen percent. More than well, 60 say, like, was like, the times, last,
1: obviously. Like, what do you count as work? Like, if there's times that I've spent 40 hours in the office and did not do 40 hours worth of work because meetings or bull crap or, you know, just uh, taking I mean, awesome lunches. mean, count, though,
0: is work, though. Yeah, that's work.
1: Like, okay, that's fine. Work. So if that's work, um, and lunch is probably work, too, because we talk about work stuff, and then listening to this podcast is work, that's like another three hours. No, per week. come on. No, <laughs> no, 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 no.
2: Now you're going to. Now, I will say, though, while I, I feel like you went a little extreme there, there are definitely times that while it it's it's not on-the-clock work, there are times that I'm dealing with a problem that is work-related that I'll spend hours at night researching and digging into it, diving in and going, what's the best way to do this? Because my brain won't let it go, right? Like I'm not going to sleep properly at night until I until I do my best to try and figure out what I'm going to start with the next day, right? So... I don't, I don't know if that counts, but it's almost unfair not to count it because whatever company you're working for, whether it's yours or yourself or whoever else, they're getting the benefit of you taking your personal time yeah. to to find something that will better that company, right? And and I think that you have to count that as well. Yeah,
1: it's hard. I, I just imagine people like, you know, we asked about the less than 40s. Like, you can imagine kind of going into work nine to five. And you're like, well, I get three cups of coffee today. Uh, I spent at least 30 minutes in the bathroom, at least. And, uh, you know, I got a couple breaks in there, unrelated. Well, for us, that's not fair anymore. I I would say, like, when you're in an
2: office, man, this is one thing that drives me absolutely crazy. I would venture to say most people who just have a good work ethic are way more productive at home because there's less interruptions. You don't have... Like, when you're in an office, somebody taps you on the shoulder, pulls your headphones off, does whatever, right? Like, that that's a 30-minute interruption. And those happen all day long. At home, you don't get
0: that as much. I will say, though, it's so much easier to have work-life balance when there's an office.
1: Right? Oh, yeah. It's a it lot easier is.
0: to just, like, walk away and leave
1: it in that building, you know? At least yeah. that's from my own
0: personal experience, the way I've found it.
1: Yeah, hey, whenever else is packing up at five thirty, you're like, "Oh, what the heck? Screw it!"
2: Yeah, I, you have to be disciplined if you work at home to to put in your fair share of work, but also know that you you have to be able to walk away from it because I from I'd venture to say all of our experiences, if you're one of those people that gets stuff done, there will never be a shortage of stuff for you to get done, right? It, it, and it's not like you plowing through it and, and finishing at midnight is going to shorten your load for the work you got to yeah. do tomorrow,
0: right? <laughs> right. So, that's the that's the thing that we keep that that's the guilty thing that we keep tricking ourselves because because like we'll put in all that time and you'll try to be that hero because like there's this imaginary thing that you're not realizing that like it's not like you're going to have less work next week because no you burnt the midnight oil tonight. <laughs>
2: right and tomorrow and, and,
0: and, and the day after your reward
2: for being that guy that gets stuff done that nobody knows that you spent till midnight doing is that oh you knocked that out oh well i see that you're kind of light right now <laughs> let me yeah. throw some more stuff <laughs> on you
0: but i wanted to go mountain biking
2: right so <laughs> so yeah i mean i i think your point is 100 legit mike but But you do have to be able to draw that line. Some people are better at it than others, and it's a lot of times it depends on the amount of responsibility you have on your shoulders. I'm so envious of those people. But yeah, I mean, there are days where I literally look at the clock. I'm like, it's five thirty. I don't care that I was in the middle of typing that last variable name. I'm done. Right? Like I'll just I'll I'll stand up, walk away from the computer. Yeah. Sometimes I'll even shut it off. And if it crashes, (laughs) I'll be like, I was working on something. I'll figure it back out tomorrow.
1: Oh, yeah. If the computer crashes, something near the close of the day. mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) All
0: right. Well, uh, how about this as a joke that I'm sure this is going to hit really close to home and it might be there might be a little bit of pain. The scars might be a little too fresh. I have a Kubernetes joke, but I don't know what it is. No. All right, fine. All right, fine, okay, Kubernetes okay. experts that know everything about Kubernetes and are like, oh, okay, I don't need your stupid joke.
1: I don't know. Tough crowd tonight, man. Gosh, this is not going so I, well. I, I learned everything there was to learn. Apparently. I totally, I, I
0: totally don't get that one.
1: Yep. Like, Sorry, three-hour plural high course, master right here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Be that way then. All right, fine. I have a privacy joke, but I'm not going to tell you what it is terrible all right how about this for uh this episode survey because you know when you think surveys you really think like what can the math of a chicken do to top himself (laughs) so for this episode survey we ask simply which one coca-cola because i'd like to teach the world to sing or pepsi it's hair on fire good. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Poor MJ. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I mean, I, I, I'm going to, I don't even know if I should go with another joke. You guys are like such a tough crowd tonight. No, I, I need another one. I need another one. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, how about real since, you know, we stay on topic with the book here. Uh, you know, is cause this is kind of related to DevOps stuff. Um, I have a testing joke, but the results aren't reproducible. <laughs> <laughs> that one came from Aaron, by the way. Uh, I like it. Kudos. <laughs> uh, I might have I might have uh, used up all my jokes, but whatever. We're caught up. Worst case scenario. <laughs> no, I have some more. I take that back. <laughs> I te- I'll, I'll tease you now. It's it's an endless bag of jokes. I like it. This episode is sponsored by Secure Code Warrior. Secure Code Warrior's gamification lets you learn how to write secure code from the start and identify bad code already present. Now, let me tell you guys, like I, I was, I, I thought that I knew some things about Docker, right? And I was like, okay, you know, I I wanted to try the platform out and everything. So I, I'd been going through like di- trying different tests, so I tried the Docker one and I thought like, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do an easy one. Like, you know, I, I need something. I'm like, let me get, just get a quick win. Oh my God. It kicked my butt, man. Like, <laughs> I didn't even, there was, I, I, I there were, from a security point of view, like I thought like, well, what could you do with Docker? Right. But it wasn't just like the Docker configurations. It was also like they started diving into like, the scripts that you might be calling, you know, to, to create during or during your Docker build, or that might call your Docker build. Like, Oh, oh, oh what? I wasn't prepared. <laughs> I over, I underestimated it.
1: That's awesome. And that's how it really is, right? It's not just Docker. It's how Docker is integrated into your environments and like real code bases. And so it's awesome that they give you like real code bases with the real containers and it's real world. It's not like container A, container B. Like I was working with like WordPress and Nginx.
2: Yeah. And keep in mind the whole purpose of the platform is to make you better at identifying and understanding security vulnerabilities and helping you to not do them. And we said at the top of the show, IBM just released that report that in 2020, the average cost of a breach is $3.86 million, right? So it's a good investment of your time as a developer and as a company to make sure that you are staying on top of what the best
0: security practices are. So head over to discover.securecodewarrior.com slash coding blocks to start your next game. And if you score 5,000 points, you get a cool t-shirt. So that's discover.com securecodewarrior.com slash blocks.
2: All right. So the next thing we up is use telemetry to guide problem solve problem solving, right? And the lack of telemetry has some negative issues. This was really interesting to me, by the way, people use it to avoid being blamed for problems, man. i never thought about it. It's so true.
0: That's why you You want that success log written out. Nope, the email went out. I got a success metric right here. That's right. (laughs) Um, But this,
2: the next one was what Uh. was even worse, and I've seen it happen. It can, atmospheres in an environment might cause you not to have telemetry because it's politically motivated, right? Like managers or somebody trying to um, like stack the cards against somebody else or it's
0: not my problem. Right. Yeah. Well, specifically what they were talking about in this section though, was that like some, some environments you might not want to have metrics because then if you don't have the metrics, then they don't have evidence to blame you. Right. Right. Whereas if you did have the metric and your thing went down, your thing was the, 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 cause of the problem, right. Then they can like definitely point to you and you're like, yeah. So, so it's definitely like a, <clears throat> if you have a culture where it's a very, uh, you know, attack like kind of culture and and you're constantly on guard and defensive, then you're going to be less inclined to provide these types of metrics. Yeah.
2: You know, and if you're in a blame oriented culture anyways, man, that's, that's hard. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't have much advice other than either try and change the culture or, or, or change where you are, but they call it out that it's super counterproductive, right? Because this whole point of hiding these metrics in this telemetry is damaging to everybody because now you can't actually take informed actions to make things better. Right.
1: Yeah. That stinks. I, I never, that never occurred to me, but yeah, that's a bummer.
2: And I've seen it happen. I, I've, I've actually seen it happen. When I read it, I was like, oh, totally. I, and, and at the time, I never really thought about it, but yes. Um, and then they call out that having telemetry allows you to solve problems basically using the scientific method, the thing that you learned in fourth, fifth grade, right? You know, come up with a theory, th- come up with the variables, whatever, and then test it. Like it's it's a very logical way of attacking the problem.
0: How dare we try to use logic to solve logic? <laughs> right.
2: uh,
1: and uh, one thing I like here is uh, they mentioned enabling the creation of production metrics as part of uh, daily work. And what I've kind of got in mind here is that um, there's uh, some you know tools or frameworks we've used that um, basically make it easy to kind of add custom metrics. So it's like, hey, the number of customers that I've seen today are the average number of whatevers. And, and it's really nice to be able to kind of add that with a one-liner and just know it's going to get shipped out uh, via... You know, whatever stats kind of stuff or metric stuff that you're using in or JMX or whatever. And so it's easy to add that stuff in there, which I really like. I mentioned uh, stats D here, which we mentioned uh, coming from Etsy, which is super cool. That is like, I always say like the gold standard. Like that's the one I keep seeing come up all the time. And it's, um, you know, I don't really know much about it. I've seen it in use. And so I know it's really common. But is it cross-platform? Is it like, what's what's its deal?
0: I always thought it was like just a Unix kind of thing. Or Linux type of thing, but maybe it's I'm Node wrong. JS. Yeah, that's what I was reading when I was looking at their their that's GitHub probably. page. So I was like, oh, yeah, totally thinking of something else.
1: Uh, with uh, Java stuff, I tend to think of like JMX kind of like hooking in there and you can see your garbage collections and all that sorts of stuff. But um, I've seen StatsD used in like other places, like with um, in, like Python or whatever. But uh, I just don't really know much about it or how things communicate to it. Well, I think the point here though is that it was like, It it was so simple, like with a single line of code, you
0: could create the timer or counter for something. It wasn't a whole lot of effort, you know, on your part to to use it.
2: Yeah, and it says it's just a network daemon
1: that that basically
2: listens for statistics.
1: Yeah. So so, yeah, I'm looking at it now. It's basically they're just kind of like echoing stuff and kind of uh, sending it across to like a a network endpoint in the port. So it's just kind of taking it and uh, it's responsible for forwarding it on to wherever it needs to go it's cool
2: yeah super lightweight can do what it needs to do and then they also say here uh, again going back to what outlaw was talking about earlier with core metrics and all that stats d isn't usually just used alone it's typically going to be paired with something like graphite or grafana in order so that you can get those visualizations, right? Because the metrics really are getting you to a point to where you can see the things that are happening.
0: And you know, thinking about something like a statsD, it feels very uh 12 factor appish, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that you're like just calling out to some other service to like hey, like here, ping this happened, right? Yep. I mean, it feels so- very much in line with that. That type of uh that type of app.
2: Yep. And then they they actually call out what I just said. They use the data to generate graphs, right? And then those graphs um, with production changes to see if anything changed significantly, like any, any major shift in what the metrics were showing. And that's actually really cool because what they're talking about is overlaying things, right? Like development changes, production releases, whatever, right? And then as you see these things change and they're stacked on top of each other, you can see where these things align and you say, oh, well, that particular commit right there that got shipped to production is when we saw the telemetry
0: go crazy one way or another. Yeah, it goes back to the example that Jay-Z gave at the start, right, where it was like, Oh, hey, we are suddenly we're seeing a drop in, uh, checkout conversions from Internet Explorer and it started at around Wednesday. What happened on Wednesday? Right. And if right. you do those overlays, you know, it's like, Oh, well, that's when we released this feature. Yep. It's, it's a big
2: deal. And the worst thing is if you don't have those metrics, you don't even know anything's wrong. Right. Can, can we also say, though, that if you still have to support Internet Explorer, then I'm sorry. Man, I saw somebody say something about it the other day, and I was like, no way, man. <laughs> so oh. there are similar tools that they called out in the chapter. Uh, and I think Jay-Z hit on it earlier. Like, JMX for Java is one of them. Like, they've done a really good job bringing that in there. Uh, you've got New Relic, AppDynamics, Dynatrace, Munin, Collectee, there's, there's probably tons of them out there, and there's going to be ones that are specific to the clouds, right? Application insights and all that kind of stuff. How, how these things hook in?
1: How we do on IE hmm. six? <laughs> oh man, so it's only ten percent now. Sorry, I'm <laughs> kidding. It's this way better than that I can't find good stats on it anymore.
0: Uh, Remember, like, uh, what was that site? Uh, oh yeah, it's still a thing. Breakup with IE eight that's yeah. still there. Yeah. It's still there. And it, like, it would give you like all these reasons of why you would need to break up with it. Do you remember?
2: I don't remember.
0: Like one, like I, I just went to it and it was like, you're a shadow of your former self. Oh wait, you don't do shadows.
1: I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> amazing. Uh, so uh, right. c- creating self service access to telemetry and information radiators so the idea here is to make the data available to anyone in the value stream without having to jump through hoops to get it. That includes development, operations, product management, infosec, whoever. This is super important. If you've ever been developing, you're like, well, how many of these do we have in production? Or like how many records do we have? How many orders do we have? Like is whatever I'm going to do going to be able to support that volume? And you can't get that information. It's so frustrating so frustrating and it's you can anonymize this data it'd be so nice like this is great information that can inform so many people you know like infosec the same thing like if they're doing their like risk calculations or whatever or trying to figure out like just how uh important something is like that's super useful information to have uh marketing too you know for sure uh product management everything like deciding what features need to go come or go like everyone should be able to access this stuff these are not just developer tools
2: and you want to define what information radiator was for us sir. Yeah,
1: sure. So information radiators are things that display or their displays, which are placed in highly visible locations. So we talked about like the TVs in the break rooms or whatever. Um, so you can see information quickly. I used to work somewhere that, that had TVs in the break rooms and all around that would show things like the build status and stuff. But they all, it would also show like what builds were broken. And you can see like um, tickets that were running late and stuff. Some kind of like stats are just kind of gross. Like you did not want your name up on that list because everyone's like, we're trying to close out this milestone. But you still got a ticket up. What are you doing in the break room? <laughs> you need to get back to work. It's so I didn't love board. that. But uh lot stats. <laughs> <laughs> uh and
2: the the cool part that they talk about here is they don't want you to hide anything from visitors, yeah, or the team itself and and I don't think we put a bunch of notes on this, but they even talked about you might even take those metrics and make them public right, so that you can let people know i I'm sure that cloud companies do it all the time talking about yeah. their s l a s and and how those things work right but but yeah, if if you have metrics to back up everything you've got, that can actually be a valuable asset in just your marketing portfolio.
1: Ever seen a status page? There's a bunch of them. There's uh, like a bunch of services that kind of like will do that for you. You can kind of hook in like uh, your heartbeats or health metrics or whatever. And so like your customers can see what your status is, and so it's really actually nice. Even the history I would be able to see, like. Oh wait, you know we had a problem on Friday. Oh, and they had a service outage on Friday. Okay, that explains that now. I don't have to worry about it being a systemic or issue that's still going on. But you could see why you'd want to hide that. It's like if the customer didn't realize that you were down on Friday. You're like, hey, hey, you got away with something. But uh, you know, ultimately, like a lot of times they do notice, or it just makes them not trust your service. Even if they don't necessarily know when it was down. You know, like they know it was down. Right. Yeah. Like a
0: something like a status. Com. Yeah, exactly. You know, for example, or, uh, I, I, one that came the other day, uh, for us, uh, was, uh, status.bintray.com.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I mean, the really the, the one that would matter to all of us would be, uh, you know, if, if you wanted to go to, uh, the support.activision.com slash online services to <laughs> check on Call of Duty just to make sure, right? Cause, that that's what that's the one that matters i think that's we can agree
1: right let go play that right now
0: yeah why aren't we playing that right now
2: i mean we could it's it's the night is young yeah what the
1: <laughs> heck well let's get to it resources we like blah 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 just kidding uh a lot you uh you just read some books what do you think about the phoenix project no spoilers okay
0: so resources we like we're going to have uh links to all of these so the devops handbook is, has been in there uh along with this series, along with the Phoenix project and the unicorn project. And, and as Jay-Z just said, like, uh, you know, I had some time here recently that I could like focus in on some of these and went through the Phoenix project. And I gotta say, I loved the Phoenix project. I don't, I don't know. Maybe the reason why I loved the Phoenix project as much as I did is because I'd already gone all the way through the DevOps handbook. But I kind of wonder if maybe like what the inverse of that, like had I gone Phoenix project first, because the beauty of the Phoenix Project is because I had already gone through the DevOps handbook, then, you know, it, okay. So, so for those that aren't familiar with the Phoenix Project, it's a fictional story about this company that's in trouble and like how they're trying to, uh, you know, turn the company around with this major product, uh, re- project release that they have coming, but it's, it's, tr- it's a problematic project. Nobody wants to be on it, whatever. And it's the story of like how they're trying to, Turn the ship around, right? Um, but but having gone through the DevOps handbook, like you can kind of be like, oh, well, this is where you need to apply this or apply that or whatever. Like you kind of see things like, and it just helped to like illustrate or to like solidify some of the concepts of the DevOps handbook so much. I loved it, loved that. Yeah, I'm, I'm no, making my thing. way through the Unicorn Project now.
1: Uh, uh, but, oh, that's good too. Yeah, I, and it's I a little bit mo- more modernized. It's kind of funny to hear about, like you know, it's been it's just yeah, got a little more touch of modern.
0: Because the the, the 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 two stories, the Phoenix Project and the Unicorn Project, are supposed to be happening concurrently, right? Uh, but you're right that there is like a little difference in technology
1: <laughs> mentions in the yeah, Unicorn Project. Yeah, and just the way they the way the teams are organized, even you could just tell it just feels a little bit older. It's which is awesome, but I bet you had the same problem with the Phoenix project that I did. Oh, was it me or did the security guy John get kind of? He had kind of a bad role, like definitely a bad guy in the book. But it kind of like because it was you know that and the marketing person were kind of you know. They were not the great people. It kind of made it kind of feel like the authors didn't really like security people or maybe marketing people so much.
0: Yeah. But John comes around though, like don't, he does. don't lose faith in John. Now, the one, heard, the one, no spoilers, the one, yeah. no spoilers. Uh, the, the one uh, that like I kept like trying to think of to myself was like the Brent of the story. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, because
0: there's always, like, that one guy in the team that, like, knows everything about it, right? And it was like, oh, hey, there's a major problem. Like, oh, go, go talk to him, right? And, yeah. and it was just like – like, that was the one thing It was like, oh, man.
1: Yeah, and it was cool how they dealt with it, too. It's like, they're like, wait, wait a second. You're not our hero, really. It's kind of a problem that you're the only person who knows how to do this stuff, and everyone's dependent on you. So we're going to, like, basically tie your hands behind your back, and you're going to tell people what you're going to yeah. do to solve these problems until they get into until they can solve it on their own.
2: Yeah. Hey, so, so cool. tell me this, though. You guys, I think both of you listened to the audio audiobook version. Was it pretty good? Oh, with yeah, it's really good. I the listen versus a read? Okay. Yeah, so, totally. Oh,
1: for sure.
0: So, uh, one interesting thing, uh, cause I had questioned last time, I was curious about how the, um, the DevOps handbook specifically would call out like charts, you know, like how, how they made reference and Jay-Z said like, Oh, I didn't even know that notice when they were, but, um, they do, they do call it out like when they make a, um, yeah, there were, there were definitely some times where they called out, like, that they were referring to a chart. And, uh, one of the, one of the listeners, I, I'm sorry, I, I forgot who re- referenced this, either if it was in, um, discuss or in Slack. I, and I totally apologize, but, uh, someone called out that in your audio, um, I'm sorry, your audible, um, app that you could go into it, uh, where was it? Underneath, was it chapters? No, yeah, under if you go under chapters in the in the app within the app and you scroll up to the very top, it'll say accompanying PDF. And you can click on that and then you could scroll through it and you could see all of the visualizations that are referenced in the book. Like nice. it, they're in the audio book, like as they get to it, so you can kind of you know see what they're talking about.
2: Very nice. Cool. All
0: right. So with that, we will head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week,
2: yes, sir. And I've got a few of them this week, as I always what? do. No, that's so, <laughs> that's so surprising, <laughs> right? So, uh, a couple of these are, you know, in fairness, I grabbed from Slack or friends or whatever. And so, Dave Follett, I don't think I don't think we've mentioned him here in a while. So it's good to see him back on the it's list. Good Dave, yeah, super good Dave. He actually had a tip that was like bookmarking code somebody had asked about like is there a way to bookmark code in your ide and i'm pretty sure in visual studio there's always been that and i think in intellij and those they're always there well there's also a plugin for visual studio code to do the same and so thanks to dave we've got a link here in the show notes for you so if you want some bookmarks in your visual studio code go grab that that was my tip oh did you did i steal yours oh yeah you did Oh, you yep. should have looked at my tip, man. Much,
1: uh, I saw Catch mentioning it and talking about it in the part of, part of the same uh, discussion. What's up, Devin? And uh, yeah, so I installed it. I've been using it. Uh, so yeah, I do control uh, control alt k and it bookmarks it. And there's a, a bit, you can do stuff where you can kind of go backwards and forwards and bookmarks it. Actually, bookmarks the bookmarks the line. But uh, I just use a little window pane because there's some some project I open and I only touch like four or five files out of like a hundred. And so it's so nice to be able to open those up. And, like, code will remember which files you have open and stuff. But I tend to, like, use code for all sorts of different reasons. And I just close all the windows every once in a while. I'm like, wait, what folder was that in? Right. So that's been nice. All right. So yeah,
0: the, the bookmarks are nice because it's you don't necessarily want to set a breakpoint to something. But that's on, like, an area of interest to you in, right. like, one or more files. And it's nice to be able to, like, have a way of navigating between those areas, especially like as you're debugging something or working on something and you don't necessarily want like a break point. Right. And if you learn the keystrokes for it, like what Jay-Z was saying, then it's real
2: easy because you can just basically toggle through them all until you get to one that you want. And if you've only got four or five, then it's not going to take you long to get to it. So that's, that's cool. Sorry. I stole your tip. Uh, mine was in there first. I will say there. Uh, now the next one is from our friend, Bobby Richard. His, and I think I might have mentioned this one in a tip previously is Oh My ZSH. So it's the Oh My ZSH shell is, is essentially what it is. And it's really cool. It's, if you go to the webpage, I'll have a link to it, but they basically say you'll be ultra cool if you use it, right? That's, that's the only reason to really use it. But then they've got like over 200 plugins. They've got themes. They've got all kinds of stuff. Well, the reason I bring it back up is. I saw him enter a command on in his shell and I was like, dude, what did you just do? And it was something that basically get added all, get committed the message, and get pushed it with like four characters and his quotes, and I was like, um I need to know what you just did <laughs> because Rewind. I wanted to do that. <laughs> so Here's the deal. There's actually a cheat sheet for on um, GitHub for Oh My ZSH. And here's the cool part. They have all kinds of aliases for all kinds of things. So there's a bunch of Git ones, which Outlaw, you may or may not like, because I know you like to know exactly what these things are doing, but there's a ton of Git ones There's even one that I found that was really fun. That is zsh underscore stats. I want to say you can actually go look and see what commands you run the most. So, unsurprisingly, cube cuddle or cube control or whatever you want to call it was more than a third of my commands that I issue in my shell. Right. So it's really cool. Like there's just all kinds of little shortcuts and stuff here. So definitely go check that out. It, I I love it. Like I I've been using that shell for a while now. Is I would that Windows never, only? Or
1: I mean, OSX only? Would you say? Uh is that OSX only?
2: I'm not certain. I'm using it on OSX. Uh, well, it would be, be Z
0: shell specific, right? So, wherever yeah, you're yeah, using you Z shell. Yeah, I
2: don't know where you So gonna if gonna get you're Z-Shell. in
0: like Ubuntu with Z shell then
1: Uh it says Windows WSL2 is preferred. Oh, okay. Which
2: really stinks because WSL2, I can't get all my work machines because the Windows version is tied to 1903 and you need the build after that to be able to get to that stuff. It drives me crazy.
0: My, my thing though is that like the reason why I don't like, I, I may have said this before, but the reason why I don't like to rely on aliases though, is that then you become dependent on having the alias. And now if you like, had to log into some other system, then you're like, "Oh wait, what was the command again?" Uh, and you stumble. And I'd rather like not have that. Um, yeah, you know, I'd rather the muscle memory just be there to like just type in the command.
2: I've mm. got enough muscle memory over the past five or six years to where I'm good with doing an alias.
1: Now. I have too much muscle and too much memory to right. <laughs> exactly. Welcome to the gun show, brother. Right. <laughs>
0: uh, that's amazing. Ah.
1: And well, plus you know they say uh, SSHing is a failure of your automation. Uh, you shouldn't yeah. even be able to. Yeah. Really. <laughs>
0: this is where like uh this is where like I think I feel like Joe should be spouting off like one of the uh, John Oliver uh, you know, gun show kind of things, like they call me the lunch lady because between the hours of eleven to one I'm just stacking plates. <laughs> <laughs> well, prepare uh, for a swoller eclipse
1: <laughs> uh, you got the memory I got the muscles apparently
2: <laughs> how do you remember that
1: That's all right, right. Uh, okay
2: so now for my tip of the week wait those other then, ones worked <laughs> well those, those were <laughs> borrowed right those were borrowed so, uh, oh is this something borrowed something blue something new <laughs> yes this is something new so Let's set the stage. Outlaw and I are definitely on the same plane where it comes to, I don't like installing software, right? Like I, I want to run I think Jay-Z is the same way. I want to run everything in a Docker container, humanly possible. And even builds. So I don't know that we've talked about this in the past, but seeing as how we're already talking about DevOps stuff, one of the really nice benefits of doing builds like software builds inside a container is your entire environments there, right? you don't have to worry about setting your Java home to one of your 12 SDKs that are installed on your system. You basically run the version of the container that has the JDK version in it that you need, and then you do the build in there. One of the downsides to this that I ran into this past week is when you do builds in containers, unless you're mapping volumes and the artifacts that are downloaded are basically available as a cache there, Every time you go to do the build in the container, it pulls those same artifacts every single time so if if we're talking about Java specifically right now, if you're doing a maven build, if it doesn't have that cache, it's going to go pull every one of those maven dependencies down, and that could be hundreds of megabytes, if not a gig of data trying to build your application right and every time you go to build it in that container, you're running the same thing so Here's something that's really cool. I believe as of Docker 18.09, Docker desktop 18.09, there is the ability for running experimental things using a tool called Build Kit that ships with Docker that allows you to mount a cache when you're doing your Docker build. So what it does behind the scenes for you, and I'll have a link to it. What it does behind the scenes is you have to put like this comment at the top of the file that basically tells it, yes, turn on this experimental feature. You also have to enable Docker build kit, which is usually a command before your Docker build. So it'll be something like Docker underscore build kit equal one, and then do your Docker build after that. But the cool part is inside that file, if you say dash dash mount, and then you could tell it to cache, it will basically create a volume for you and mount it to that Docker uh container. So the next time you go to do the build, it'll look and see that nothing's changed in your Maven uh, build necessities and it won't go grab them again. It'll look on and say, all right, boom, you can literally save yourself hours of your life by doing something like this. And again, it's, it wasn't super obvious. It was something I had to go dig to find because I was tired of these builds take it so long. So, uh, check that out if if you're using Docker containers to do builds, this can save you a
1: ton of time. Well, I don't have a tip anymore. <laughs> Sorry about that so well, uh here you go uh in Visual Studio code, if you uh you know control shift p uh you can actually disable all your extensions and then uh that doesn't run problems, so you can just disable them so they're running. And then you can go back through and click through the ones that you actually uh, still want. Because I I just opened mine on my personal computer. had all sorts of stuff like that I used for once like for Go unit testing. And I haven't done Go in uh, several months now. I don't need that running all the time. So disable them all and go back through and enable the ones you want. That's There's really cool.
2: I didn't know that was that easy. Yep.
0: One-liner. Kind of. Kind of. All right. Well, uh, how about one last joke? One one last one. Is that all right? Yes. Let's do it. Now, uh, okay. So I got to tell you, I, I have a joke about testing legacy code, but the setup takes too long. <laughs> <laughs> and that one was also from Jim. So all of the jokes tonight were from Jim, except for the one that I mentioned that was from Aaron. So thank you guys for, uh, for the awesome dad jokes. Loved them. Uh, all right. So how about this one? Uh I noted a friend of mine pointed this out to me or a coworker, you know, friend pointed this out to us in uh in DataGrip that I didn't realize that you could do and I was like, "Oh man, I'm in love with this idea." So you can color code your environments in DataGrip. So you could right click on like say a server, select color settings, and then you could, you know, you have different colors and it it'll it'll apply to not only your tabs but also the, like the Explorer kind of left, you know, rail, you know, tree view. So what I would recommend is use green for local databases and red for everything else. And you could even apply the, the coloring at the individual database level. So even within your local uh, database server, right, you can have, uh, you could set like your local, say like, uh, say it's a Postgres, right? And you have your local uh, Postgres database uh, called Postgres. You could set that one to orange so that, you know, you you can easily tell like, oh, maybe I don't want to like click around or mess around in that one. Or if you happen to have a tab in it, you know, open to it, you can be, sh- you know, it's just one extra visual cue to like not accidentally, uh, you know, run that delete statement or, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Works in uh, I, I IntelliJ thought that was too.
1: So cool. Works in IntelliJ, so I assume it's like you know, PyCharm and all the other ones too. Anywhere you might use the data grippy type stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I I assumed that it might work in those other ones, but I didn't check it in uh, like specifically in IntelliJ. But also it was like, I I guess I didn't think about like, oh yeah, you could connect to database servers with IntelliJ because I was thinking like, well, why would I care about this in the file tree? I probably don't care as much in the file tree, but I I'd totally forgotten about the idea that you could connect to database servers in it. So
1: cool. Yeah. It's really similar to data grip. Actually. Yeah. Um, it's the way you look at it, It's a little bit different. It's kind of got a smaller window by default, but then it's got all the good stuff. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, so that is the, uh, our, well, we didn't finish the second way. No. Nope. Surprise. Right, so. <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) all right so with that uh yeah subscribe to us on itunes spotter spotter uh you know the stuff like if somebody if you're if you're not already subscribed uh please subscribe you know maybe a friend like pointed you to the show or whatever uh and as jay-z mentioned earlier uh well before the surprise If you uh, haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. If you did, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And remember, one new review, and I think that's what we said, one new review, and Jay-Z will dance for us. That's right. I think so.
1: Yoga dance, yep.
0: The yoga dance? So, while you're
2: up there at www.codingblocks.net, make sure you check out all our show notes,
1: examples, discussions, and even more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to Slack. And make sure to follow us on uh, Twitter, because sometimes we tweet over there. And if you go to codingblocks.net, you can find all our social links at the top of the page, or Pinterest and whatnot.
2: Hey, if we always forget, if you want some swag, some stickers, something, like, we're all locked up at home. Like, if you want something, we could we send you some stuff across the way Uh, go to codyblocksnet slash swag and you know uh, we always said send us a self-addressed stamped envelope and we will get some stuff out to you